is Buffs Nation, the podcast representing the best fans in college football. Now, here's Tyler and Jerry. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the Buffs Nation podcast. I'm Tyler Walgy. He's Jared all to my right. Jared, I don't even know how to start these things anymore. Another loss, another day. See you now. Three and uh, five on the season. I think that takes them to three and six. Three and but six. Three and whatever <laughs> oh the God. hell it is. They just keep piling up, don't they? Yeah, that is three and six on the year. I just want to make it three and five. I just want to rewind time, go back and do that one all over again. I thought we had a better chance than what we showed. My God, I thought we could have won that thing. Go on the road, UCLA. Tough defeat there for the Buffs, as Jared say, as Jared said. Fall to a three and six. 31-14. UCLA gets the win last week. And CU has to turn around for homecoming. They get Stanford next weekend. What were you thinking? What, me? No, them. St- scheduling Stanford for homecoming game. Well, it's not like they have that. Well, look at the schedule. Who else are they going to make? It's not like they're playing a cupcake schedule over here. Who else would you have made homecoming? Uh, this is a good point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, Stanford's like the best opportunity this season. Got to show up, get a big win. And we'll talk about why it's a big weekend coming up. Not just a chance to get the fourth win of the season. I mean, at this point, you've got to win every game out to have a chance to make a bowl game. I think I think our expectations of making a bowl are long gone, right? I yes. Mean, let's be realistic. Yes. Yeah. And, and so that's why you know I'm not coming in today as hot, not coming in today as upset. We've talked about this before. Expectations in life alone are based on, or excuse me, reactions in life alone are based on expectation. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about football or your job, your relationship, a lot of the times when you react, it, it's it's based on what you thought was going to happen. What was your expectation going into whatever said event we're talking about? Well, here for the Buffs, obviously, after the 3-1 and one start, you've beaten Nebraska, you've beaten Arizona State, yeah, you lost in overtime to Air Force, but expectations were high in Boulder. We thought this team had a chance to not only make a bowl game, but make a real statement the first year that Mel Tucker's here. And since then, it's been nothing but losses, five losses in a row. So the expectations for the Buffs to make a bowl game and what, are, what is CU going to do this year, that's obviously off the table. So, Jared, I'm not upset. I'm not angry. There are certain things the Buffs need to work on. But my sentiment today is a lot different than it was the last couple weeks coming in here. See, I think maybe my expectations were a little higher because I, I just don't think this UCLA team is that good. And I and I will uh, out front here give credit to UCLA. I think this is definitely a team that has improved and is better than what I expected them to be. But Tyler, this was just genuine, bad, unentertaining football from the Buffs this week. I mean, there was not, I, as we're putting together my notes here, like I could not pull two or three positive things from this game. Last week, we were chock full of positives. We tried to find the optimism and everything. I got nothing. I have no optimism, no positivity coming out of this game. Just blah. That's how I feel right now. You know, unentertaining. I was wondering if that was a word. That definitely is a word. Okay. Yeah. Good. I just rolled with it. I wasn't going to question no, it. No, I was so. about to. You'll have to excuse my friend. He's a little slow. I guess I'm the slow one in this. I guess I could have told you that because it did not <laughs> autocorrect when I typed up my notes. Yeah, that's how you know yeah, these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's, uh, let's be honest. That's how I make sure something's spelled right. Plug it into a is test that, message is, and see. If is that making kids smarter no, or dumber? No, absolutely not. Because there's the argument that everyone has a phone, so you can always spell now. You don't need to know how to Tyler, spell. the number of words that I realize months after the fact that I've been spelling wrong, but I never <laughs> know it because it just autocorrects and fixes it for me when it goes out on a text. So I've been spelling these words wrong forever. You know what I can never get? 
receipt. I always do the I and the E, the and then the there's the old yeah. saying. For so. some reason, calendar is always. I never realized it was AR. Yeah. There's an AR at the end of that. What calendar? I, okay, yeah. so let's go back to some CU football here yeah, if we have to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thirty-one fourteen. Uh, UCLA was up seventeen nothing after the first quarter, and the slow start proved to haunt the Buffs. I mean, after that first quarter, it was fourteen fourteen the rest of the way, and CU kind of found some traction there. But look, when you're playing that kind of football. You're never one big play away from getting back in the game. You're always one big mistake away from taking yourself out of the game. And that's kind of the line CU's been walking this entire season. What I saw against UCLA, again, was a flat team. A team that didn't come out with a whole lot of motivation. A team that didn't come out with a whole lot of uh, vigor. I mean, that's what you expect to see. And I'm not getting sick of the whole... Hey, they're having a great week of practice, great week of practice, but I eventually want to see this great week of practice pay off. I mean, that's it's not too much to ask that it translates eventually to a game. Otherwise, my questions start going to become, well, what does practice look like? Is yeah. pra- are, are, <laughs> is our expectations too low in what we're seeing exactly. in practice? Because that's what we've been hearing for the last three weeks, Jared. Hey, great week of practice. They're going to come out. Who cares? Not who cares, but you know, we had a good enough week in practice to where We'll put it all on the field and see what happens. We'll roll the dice based on what we got in practice this week. Okay, that's fine, but you want to see it actually translate to a little bit more in practice. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, UCLA's quarterback, who we said, make him throw the football, didn't really work out in our favor. 75% completion percentage, 21 of 28, 226 yards for two touchdowns. Jared, he had a day. Yeah, the difference between what we saw against UCLA versus against USC is they were still blitzing. They were still bringing the pressure. The problem is they were not getting to Dorian Thompson-Robinson, so he was easily finding holes. It just—it seemed like every guy he was throwing to was wide open, easy target. So to to hear he was 75% completion, that doesn't surprise me at all because every throw he was making was easy, on the money. Well, okay, do you think that too much has been made of the defensive... Uh, especially, especially the secondary. Has, has too much been made of the secondary injuries? Because you know how I like to take my weekly, maybe we'll just make it a segment for now, on the weekly Twitter Facebook feed, you know, because it seems like that's becoming a growing sentiment. Now, we have to do our job here of differentiating between angry fans and real advice that, that, that can mean something or, or real complaints or... Or, or problems that fans have that can mean something. So, I mean, do you think that's a real problem at this point? I, I think it is a problem. I think it has been blown out of proportion. I think what you've seen is a secondary, in my mind, that has gotten better throughout the season. These young guys are stepping up, playing better. Obviously, the injuries had an impact. I think the the rash amount of injuries so early in the season, I think, really forced guys that you didn't expect to play in very early. Guys like KJ Trujillo, some of these other guys. But I really think we've seen them progress and grow, and I saw some good plays being made, especially in that USC game. But I I think it's more of... A, a team defense, uh, not getting after the quarterback great, not stopping the run great. So there's just too many things that offenses can do against the Buffs. It's not all on the secondary. There's guys not making plays, but really sure. as a whole, this defense is just not performing well. I don't think you can put that all in the secondary. Okay, you're right. Maybe not all in the secondary. And I actually don't want to even put that much on the defense. We, we've come out and started this podcast talking about the defense last week, but I think it's important to, to realize that this defense is... 
okay, a little banged up. Now, it's up to you, folks, whether you think that we, other media outlets, are making a big deal of that, too big a deal of that. That's up for debate. I think it's a very real thing. This team is banged up. A lot of starters, especially in the secondary, are out right now. That's a real problem the Buffs are having. But I think that there's too much piling on going on right now of the defense. Yes, I understand they gave up over 30 points again this season. Not a good streak. But it's a real thing that this defense is exhausted. They're getting no time to rest. Every time something good happens on this defensive side, they give the ball back to the offense, and it's a three and out, three and out. I mean, how many three and outs can you start a ball game with? That's when you're supposed to score points. I was was having a talk with one of my uh, partners this weekend who I work with, and we were discussing first drive percentage in the NFL and college. Don't you think that it's inherently higher that teams score on their first possession because they can map things out, they can draw plays up, they can coordinate the first drive. To go three and out, and you that's that, that's the opposite. You at least want to drive a little, have some success. It's just hitting your head against a brick wall every time you watch this offense play. And yes, they can occasionally break through, but folks, see you scored one touchdown in the second quarter, one touchdown in the fourth quarter, and that's actually one touchdown shy of their season average of 3.0 touchdowns a game. I mean, they're not scoring at all. So I think, Jared, that we're being too hard on the defense because they get no time to rest. They get no time to recuperate because they get off the field. Even the interception last week, huge interception, cut the field in half for the Buffs, and they go out and miss a field goal after getting one first down. And I, I think that's a very good point to bring up because, again, we talk about most of these injuries for the defense happened in the first four weeks of the season. So you kind of knew at that point, okay, guys, this is probably not going to be the strength of our team. But go, even going into the season, take that further back than that. Going into the season, wouldn't you have agreed with me, Tyler, if I'd have said the strength of this team, regardless of the fact that Mel Tucker's a defensive coach, bringing that mindset in, the strength of this team is in the offense, is in your senior quarterback who's a three-year starter, and the best position group you have, the wide receiver. So when you start to have these injuries, to me, as a coaching staff and as a team, as a senior quarterback that's a captain, you say, hey, I'm taking it on my shoulders. I'm going to make sure we win games. You know what? You guys can't can't hold opponents under 30 points. Guess what? It doesn't matter. We're putting up 40 a week. We're going to make sure we win games because of how good we are. And you just you haven't seen that out of the offense, both from the coaching staff and from the players. You haven't seen that go-get-it mentality. And that's what we were going to say. Or, and that's what we were saying right after all those injuries happened. It's like, well, I guess CU's going to have to win every game 45-40. Can they do that? Of course they can. Look at this offense. Look at this. That's what everyone's been saying. So... Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the strength of this team is the offense. By the way, some offensive stats here. CU, you mentioned the great, you know, opportunity to, to, to break out this year on offense and the senior quarterback, all that. I mean, Steven Montez at this point, people are done with Montez. I'm now less on Montez than I am the coaching staff. I've kind of flipped. It's funny. Over the last couple of weeks, because you came in about a month ago just complaining about the offensive play calling and the coaching staff, so on and so forth, and I was all over Montez. Now I've totally flipped, and it's like... When you just do your a deep dive on Montez and see what they said about him at the at the Manning training camp and and how you know scouts rave about this guy event and and yes the play calls when you start to look at every third down and eleven how he's dumping the ball off for a four yard gain what good does it do to gain four yards on third and eleven on the forty yard line it does no good so I, I'm less on the Montez train now and more on the offensive coaching staff train 
But they're running the ball 66% of the time on first down, and they're gaining under three yards of play. I mean, they're very, very predictable. It's something I heard Gary Barnett talking about last game on 850 KOA. Well, there's your first down run again. Gets really easy to predict when it's over and over and over. It's just a predictable offense, and I'm very careful to walk that line. I think the listeners know that I don't pretend to be in the locker room or no more. Let's face it. To, to come on here and criticize play calling is one thing, right? These guys know football. They eat, breathe, sleep it. That's what they do 24-7 for their jobs. I get that. But there's also things that show up in the numbers. And when you're running the ball for under three yards of carry, 66% of the time on first down, that to me is not that difficult of a fix. Start mixing things up. You have to get more creative with this offense. We saw it two weeks ago, Jared. We saw it. Uh, what game was that? What am I thinking about? It was USC. the USC game. Yep. We saw it. It was jet sweeps, fly sweeps, tunnel screens, getting the ball outside, creativity, and then it all went out the window. It's like you have to see consistency here, and, and that's one thing CU's not getting. By the way, it's not just on on offense that, that there's a lack of consistency. It's on it is on the defensive side when they are out there, Jared. CU is 107th in the nation, giving up first downs. So teams are just holding the ball against CU, and primarily in the second half. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But teams are holding the ball against the Buffs, driving down, getting this defense worn out, and then, like I said, giving it back to the offense, and they're not doing much with it. So, um, overall, not a very good performance from uh, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to add on to some of the stats you threw out there offensively. I think the biggest area of weakness that we've seen from this offense over the course of the season has been the red zone woes. Whether it's missed opportunities because of penalties, taking touchdowns into field goals, or what we saw this last week against UCLA, you get in the red zone twice, end up with two missed field goal attempts that really, I mean, if, if you hit those two field goals in the first half, this is a different ball game. So when you look at, at CU over the course of the season, they currently right now rank 96th in the country in offensive red zone efficiency, okay? They're only scoring touchdowns on 50% of their red zone wow. drives. Bad. That is terrible. That means half the time you're getting inside the 20-yard line and you're not scoring a touchdown. You're only scoring on 80% of your opportunities altogether. That means 20% of the time, one in five times getting into the red zone, you're walking away with no points. You're never going to be a winning football team when you play like that. Yeah, that's not a great stat. You don't like to see that at all. And improvement the last couple weeks, I guess, is something that you could be talking about. But I mean, how... How many times can we talk about improvement? It's like the I word on here, right? Oh, you don't, uh, every week, I guess, a little bit better. That shouldn't be that much to ask. That's what UCLA is doing this year. I mean, UCLA started off very bad this year, getting better and better week by week. That's what you want to see from the buffs. That you're not, that's what you're not getting from the buffs. So This UCLA team may not end up with a much different record than the buffs, but just the trajectory of their season, this UCLA organization and program is going to come away feeling so much better about the direction they're going than to see CU where you start strong and you just muddle down the stretch. Uh, do you want to talk about penalties at all? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> was slightly that. better oh, overall, but, Jared, but the timing was just exactly. As bad. It's every every third and one, every fourth and one, every every major point in the game. And guess what? You you talk about the the team on the KOA calling something out. It was the first drive of the game, and you could tell immediately. Okay, UCLA is shifting quickly. Well, why are they doing that? Why are they pulling the whole Washington State defensive mentality and shifting their defensive line at the last second? It's because CU has a propensity to false start, to jump. And guess what CU did immediately? 
Uh, second play of the game, false start. Hey, it's working. I mean, these are easy things that you need to be able to fix. And it's not like Jared said. I mean, I guess if you look at the numbers, there were a few, it, there were fewer penalties last game for fewer yards, but it's still every third and one and fourth and one. The most important times in the game, this team is shooting themselves in the foot. You want to see that come to an end, man. It's frustrating. Just to be a fly on the wall in, in the room throughout the week uh, when they're doing their meetings, when they're out there on, on practice fields. I just, h- how much time is being spent on this? Because I mean, to me... We can only speculate, yes. but 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 it, during the games, it's not translating into anything. So and, you, and you know what? Somebody jumps off a, uh, on a false start, pull them out of the damn game. Right, right. I don't care if it's your best offensive line. Get them off the field. Prove your points. So I think the answer to your I guess the answer is it doesn't matter what the question is because... It, uh, who cares how much time they're spending on it? They need to be spending more time on it if that's what they're doing in the game. So if they're spending five minutes or 30 minutes, spend more time doing that. Uh, do you have anything to add for last game? I mean, I'm not going to go off here and just rattle off all these great UCLA stats. I think we wrapped up what CU did. Well, more importantly, didn't do. I'm not that upset, too, with James Stefano. I mean, he had two missed kicks. It, it, it would have brought CU back in the game. But he's been so good this year. You can't live and die with a couple missed kicks. And by the way, what did UCLA... UCLA had at least one missed kick, maybe two as well. So at the end of the game, 31-14, you can't go, well, we had that one missed kick. Okay. What... You got to play better in the second half despite that. Something didn't seem right about Stefano out there. I, I'm not sure if it was an injury if we, or if he just got in well, his own head. I mean, they pulled him off of the kickoff. What do you they, think about the idea that the team wasn't focused? That it was a collective thing and, 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 and everybody from offense to defense to special teams didn't really look that focused this weekend. They didn't look sharp. I can no. tell you that. And I, I don't know whether it was a lack of focus or or what it was, but I, I can absolutely say from the first snap of that game, it just did didn't seem like they were 100% there ready to play. You got anything else you want to add? You're not just going <laughs> to No, I think we I think it's it's time to move on. I think I think <laughs> we just need to put this one behind us and you know, look forward to the rest of the season which I think you and I can both agree on. Let's be honest, the the season for 2019 you pretty much wrapped up what you're able to accomplish for 2018. Hey, get a win! Now, get hey, one more win. Now here's Jared. what I'm saying. Next week, everything. You get a you win. Are, now I'm not saying I'm not getting at just saying you need to give up or this team has given up. What I'm saying is everything you're doing the rest like. of this season needs to be about 2020. Okay, about building to not only prove to your recruits that this is a program they want to come to, but the players on your roster right now. We've seen the last couple of years with this transfer portal, the way it's opened up. You don't want to see your team quit on you. You don't want to see some of your young players start to go, man, maybe I made a mistake coming here. I'm going to go elsewhere. So you have to start to make decisions to prove that you can win, that you're a program that is getting better. But you need to start having your mindset as a coaching staff and to moving forward to seeing what you have for next year. That's taking Taking guys that are red shirts, letting them, they have three more games left. Anybody who hasn't played in two games already should be getting a ton of playing time. I want to see what else you have at quarterback. You know what? I'm not saying you bench Steven Montez, but let's see what you got for, from Blake Strenstrom. Let's see what you got in Tyler Lytle. Give these guys a shot. Let's see who's hungry, who wants to prove something on this team. That's kind of where my mindset's at moving forward. All right, that's a great segue to uh, this upcoming topic here. So this weekend for CU, homecoming, is going to be a big weekend for for the Buffs. Stanford coming to town, and for all my listeners out there that used to play the NCAA football game, you remember how there was always the one weekend where you would invite all the recruits to come to the school, and it's, oh, it's the big recruiting week, big recruiting week. 
that's this week for CU. CU has done so much to kind of funnel a whole bunch of big, well, big-time recruits into Boulder this weekend for the Stanford game. This is going to be one of the biggest recruiting weekends in a few years for the Buffs. It starts off with Alabama decommit Antonio Alfano. Have you heard about this guy? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, D-line. He's primarily a pass rusher. Uh, in his career, 10 sacks, 28 tackles uh, in, in high school, and he did play in the spring game for Alabama. Looked really, really good. He's 6'4", 275, big, big dude. I mean, he can play on a 4-3, 3-4. So he's being compared right now to Nick Bosa. He, w- w- When he was leaving high school to go to college, I mean, his top three was Alabama, Georgia, Penn State. So now that he's coming to Colorado, obviously strong ties with Mel Tucker, his first trip to Boulder, first trip to Colorado. It's going to be a very important weekend, especially for him. Now, I'm going to list some other recruits that are coming this weekend, but that's the, that's kind of the main recruit. If we can get him to sign, that's going to be one of the premier pass rushers in the country. It's a long shot right now, but it's a positive note that he's coming to Boulder. And like you talked about, Jared, now in the season is, is where you want to start looking forward to next year, start building within the team. Well, on the outside, with recruiting and with trying to get some guys to decommit from other places, because some of these names coming up I'm going to read have already committed to schools. I know one guy committed to Purdue a few days ago, but he's still coming this weekend. So huge weekend coming up, Jared, for uh, for recruiting. It's important, like I just talked about a moment ago, that I think this is where you prove as a coaching staff that you have a, a, a footing underneath you, that you're building towards something. Hey, it's been a rough year, but you go out and show at a premium program like Stanford, who is down as they are, recruits still see that name, they see that brand, and you go put up a good performance against a team like that. Even if you aren't getting these guys to commit, they're at least saying, hey, you know what? These are guys to still consider because we believe in what Mel Tucker's doing out there. All right, so the uh, the Purdue commit that I was talking about, Christian Gonzalez, is uh, set to make a trip to Boulder. These are all the recruits who are going to come to Boulder this weekend. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, wide receiver. Uh, his teammate, uh, Keith Miller, going to also make the trip. Four-star running back, Ashad Clayton. Um, former defensive line commit, Jordan Berry. So he's obviously decommitted from uh, LSU and is kind of a free agent, if you will. Can we use that? Can we use that term, free agent? Now, I, I, I want to say there's probably some financial <laughs> restrictions on that. They aren't getting paid, so you know. Uh, there's a four-star, either buff back or star back, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Torin Pittman, four-star defensive end, Jason Harris, all scheduled to make trips. So well, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who could be considered four stars or above. Uh, going to make the trip to Boulder this weekend. Some committed, uh, one to Purdue, one just decommitted from LSU. The rest are up in the air, especially the uh, coveted linebacker, um, Antonio Alfano. This is going to be a big weekend, man. I mean, if CU can find a way, that's one thing I always wonder with the recruiting, you know, because you know this coaching staff is telling these guys, look, you know, we're, we're, we're building this team this isn't – what do you think they tell them? Because you don't want to sound too down on your own team. You don't want to, hey, these guys are trash. Come play for us when we're going to be good. I think one of the things as a coaching staff that you have to do is 
first of all, you got to find the right kinds of kids to come into a program like this. A, a kid that sees the history and sees that they could be the next in the legacy. They, they, they see a program that's down, and they believe they're the missing piece to come in here and turn this program around. So it starts with getting the right types of kids in here, and I think it, it, it starts there. Say, hey, you know what? We've had a tough season this year, but just imagine yourself rushing off that right edge and think of what you could do for this team. And guess what? You come in next year, you can earn this starting spot from day one in here. So I think that's a big one, getting kids, talking to kids about the early opportunities for playing time that's a that's a reason why a lot of kids go to a program like cu versus say an sec school where they're going to be sitting for two or three years before they you come sounded out. pretty passionate over there jared with I, your have a, a future with your handlebar mustache and your big old mutton chops you got going tyler on. you, you got to get like that you. picture out onto social media <laughs> oh this is the, the face that you all will see from me is what happens after a month straight of losing i'm driven to this tyler i'm driven to this okay it's insanity well, see what the buffs do to you, man. It's 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 it's. I will say it's not a great look. <laughs> <laughs> Being as nice as I can, Jared. But uh, hey, if you got to keep it, I understand. Baker Mayfield ain't got nothing oh, on God. this look, man. I mean, Gardner Minshew, right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the one we should be talking about, Gardner Minshew? All right, you got anything else, Jared? No, no. I get think on we, to uh, get on to Stanford. Move on to Stanford. All right. Special thanks to the Wise Listing System team, online, paymyfirstmonth.com. If you are moving to a home, condo, apartment, doesn't matter what it is, make it easier on yourself by getting a good realtor in the Wise Listing System team. They'll do everything from setting up uh, different appointments to obviously handling all the contractual details and really make it seamless for you. Sit back, relax, and have your first month's mortgage paid for. Uh, check them out online, paymyfirstmonth.com. Also, special thanks to Woos Media. This is a Woos Media podcast, but Woos Media also has an advertising division. They are fantastic at online marketing. Have you ever been reading an article on ESPN and right in the middle of the article, you get a big old ad for whatever you've been searching on for Google the last couple of weeks? It kind of follows you around, whether it's patio furniture or uh, I know Jared's been looking for what? Jared, some, a new iPad lately? Some, some, some beard care kit? Oh, God. That's what I see. <laughs> yes. The beard care, right? So, Jared, yeah, looking to style up the new beard. And of course, you know, Jared's reading an ESPN article. Up comes new, you know, probably a, a Dollar Shave Club, maybe, or something like that, right? Some because it's going to be a company that, that, that does exactly that. And so if you own a business out there, folks, you know anyone who owns a business that wants to capitalize on what marketing has become digitally, you've got to check them out online, woozmedia.com. That's W-O-O-Z-E media.com. All right. Homecoming weekend, Stanford Cardinal coming to town. Stanford. Four and four on the season, but they've won three out of their last four games. They started off the year with a, and this is before anyone really knew how mediocre Stanford would be this year and didn't really know much about Northwestern. Stanford got off to a good start to the season, 17-7 win at home against Northwestern. And then the schedule got tough for Stanford. They went on the road to USC, lost 45-20. Went on the road to UCF, a very good Central Florida team who at the time had aspirations to make a New Year's Six Bowl, lost that game 45-27, and then the following week lost to Oregon 21-6. If that's not a very difficult start to the season, I don't know what is. And guess what Stanford's done since then? They beat Oregon State, beat Washington 23-13, 
lost to UCLA, same team the Buffs lost to last week, and then they beat Arizona. So I think this is, if anything, Jared, an underrated Stanford team. They're getting better at the right time, and they're playing some good football right now. Tyler, I, I think I might be sick in the head if, if my facial hair isn't a tell of that. Well, I think we, uh, uh, I think we knew that. <laughs> after spending the last half hour just trashing what we've seen out of the Buffs, I start doing my prep uh, for this game and looking. I go, man, I think the Buffs can win this game. Oh no! <laughs> this this is a Stanford team that is perennially an eight to ten win team. In in eight uh, seasons under David Shaw, they've never had a season under eight wins. They've had five seasons of 10-plus wins. This is the first down year you've ever seen out of Stanford, at least in my lifetime, that I can remember. And for as bad as CU's defense has been statistically, they're one of the worst in the country. Stanford's offense is equally terrible. And so it's one of those, like, wait a second. Can CU actually go out and win this game? Can they be the better team on the field this week? Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy, and there's a few things going in the Buffs' way. They're playing at home. It is homecoming. I think there'll be a little bit more motivation. I hope the stadium will be packed. I hope that CU will be able to get some fans out there. So there are some things that, that lead you to say, okay, well, if CU comes out and executes a game plan offensively, maybe they can find a way to win this thing. I'm just so skeptical now. I mean, we're at the point this season that it's like, I feel, I feel, I feel, you know, like a beaten dog. <laughs> like you're afraid to exactly. go out on the podcast yes. and be like, oh, I picked you to win. Yes. <laughs> I mean, look, every week it's like, when is this offense finally going to show up? Or when is this team going to work together? Because when the offense shows up, the defense still gives up points. So if there was one, look, let's put it this way. CU's got three games left. It, it, it's, it's this game, Stanford, and then Washington, and then Utah. I mean, this is the last really winnable game left on the entire schedule. So, yeah, Jared, if you're looking at any way that CU can win this game, there's more ways CU can win this game than any other game coming up. And let's talk about CU's offense, what they have to do offensively, where they have to start. We always kind of go back and forth. It seems like every week we're on, on the different side here. What's more important this week, the rushing game or the passing game? All start off here, and I think it's all about establishing the running game, getting that going in the first half, and scoring from it, okay? CU this year, actually, if you look at time of possession in the first half, CU's a top 25 team in terms of holding the football. They're 25th in the nation. Okay, They hold the ball for almost 55% of the time in the first half. They're eating up clock and holding the ball. They're just not doing anything with it. If they can finally turn these drives into something, I think that's going to be a big boost for this team. Obviously, you get points on the board early, that's going to help. And Alex Fontenot should be back. He was out uh, because of concussion protocol. That was, I mean... That wasn't talked about at all. Exactly. Kind of came out out of nowhere. Gave Jaron Mangum a huge workload last week, which I thought was good. Kind of gave him a chance to break through. But looking forward, I think Fontenot coming back, that new renewed one-two punch, running the football early is going to be key for the Buffs. I don't care if you run it. I don't care if you throw it. The key (laughs) is, Tyler, this offense has to be in a rhythm early. I think we've seen that. We talked about it last week, how much of a detriment that was. When you know your defense on the other side of the ball is probably not going to stop them too many times, you have to come out, you have to score on that first drive. But this defense, well, we'll get there. We'll get to the defense because, I mean, we may be able to stop Stanford, but we'll get there. But but I think as an offense, you can't have that mindset. you got to look at what you've seen from your defense this year and know, you know what, we need to put it on our shoulders. So I think it's actually important to get a nice balance going early. Uh, I, I think 
think you get away from that prototypical run on first down, run on second down, throw the ball on third down, or whatever that is, get out of that. Let's let's start to get creative, do some different things. And and, and when I say cre- get creative, that doesn't mean don't run the ball on first down. It right. means don't line up with your quarterback under center and a single back and run up the middle. Well, it means run. start out in shotgun. Give me a speed option. Give me a, a, an end-around play. Give me something different, something the defense isn't expecting from you. I think Arizona, the Wildcats, are one of those teams who kind of mix it up on offense and show you that look. And last week, Arizona scored 31 against Stanford. Now they lost because the defense gave up 41. But if CU can kind of do what Arizona did last week, use that trickery, use a few misdirections in the backfield. This is what we said before the USC game, but using those tunnel screens, getting the receivers the ball, even in the running game, use Visca more out of the backfield. I want to see him get the ball more out of the backfield. Jared, we had a conversation last week, and you were talking about a national outlet that you were reading. Can you talk more about that and what they were saying about LaVisca? Yeah, he's... um one of the, one of the well, many scouts really. When you, when you look around the NFL, he's kind of a very polarizing player right now. A lot of guys saw what he did last year and really saw the upside, the potential. So Talking many about different Chanel. yes, Lavisca Chanel. So many different ways that you can use him. And last year, the Buffs really probably overdid it with him. But you saw him lining up as a quarterback, as a running back, as an H back, lined up behind the tight end. You saw him in the, in the slot, outside at wide receiver. And I think a lot of guys, when you look at his build, he's about six two, six three. He's 225 pounds. He's built like a running back. And one of the things I've been hearing coming out from, from, from several different guys, this specifically came from Matt Miller with Bleacher Report, came out with something saying, you know what? I think the certain teams are going to look at LaVisca Chenault as a running back, a guy that is a running back that you can line up at wide receiver, but his actual primary position in the NFL, because he runs so hard, because he's so good between the tackle with the balls in his hands, I think he has an upside and potential. And for an offense, let's throw out a team like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Philadelphia Eagles, teams that really utilize guys in different ways. Those types of teams may look at Boy, him he better more that way. end up on the Chiefs. Oh, my God. Can you, can you imagine you know as a Broncos though? fan what that would do? To... You know how happy I would be for LaVisca, though, if he ended up. That would be such an ideal landing spot oh, for him. Oh, with Mahomes and, and Andy Reid. I would, too. I, I, would I too. wouldn't even be mad as a Broncos fan. Mm-hmm. I don't even care to see him have that kind of success. So... It, that's something that I think the the buffs right now are hindering his draft stock. Another thing coming out from a lot of people, a lot of guys had him as a top 10, top 15 guy going into the year. I'm seeing him falling down guys' draft boards week after week after week because of the lack of production, because of his lack of ability to dominate a game, to take over these games where their offense has been so limited. And you and I have talked a lot about it. it you know, he's sort of subjective to them getting the ball in his hands. Right, exactly. And, and, and I don't know if he's still hurt. Um, they, they, there's he's just not, a, lot. a lot. There's a lot. He's on the sidelines, and and you see him constantly on the bike, constantly doing things to stay active. It, it makes me wonder if he's still nursing an injury that they're trying to keep quiet right now. I think that has to be the case. I mean, look, there's something going on that no one knows, and the TV crew, right, the telecast crew, has a weekly meeting before the games. You hear nothing on TV. The radio crew is even closer to the to, to the uh, team. They're in the locker room. They have offices down the down the hallway from these guys. They don't know what the heck's going on with Lavisca. So, when that's the case, you can tell weird stuff is happening. And I would really, really be willing to bet that something's going on with Visca to where he's not 100%. He's not playing that many snaps. I mean, we're talking key snaps in the game. He's just on the sideline. 
So something's going on right now, but when he is in the game, you got to get him the football. And Jared, you said that that's what they were saying on Bleacher Report is that how frustrated these guys were watching because they all want to see LaVisca do what he can do, but it's frustrating to see an offense not able to get some guy to football. Is this correct? Yeah, and that's is, is what Matt Miller was, was was talking about in his article. He he said, uh, you know, I, I you know, as a national scout, you're you're trying to tune into as many games as you can, and so he says he makes a point every week to tune into the CU game because he wants to see how good this kid is, and. Then when you you see him get four targets, two <laughs> catches, 25 yards, it, it, and, and then you're seeing him on the sidelines, all of a sudden, as a scout, uh, and, and, and this isn't just, you know, Matt Miller just, just works for Bleacher Report, he does his own thing, but every NFL, every NFL team has scouts every week looking at certain teams, certain areas, and you can guarantee they're coming back with reports to NFL teams saying, I don't know what the deal is with this guy. Maybe he's not as good as we thought he is. Maybe there's something going on here, but I think we should stay away from him in the first round. You can guarantee there's guys going back giving reports like that because of what you're seeing. And I think if there is an injury going on, they're absolutely doing a detriment to him and his future if By they're not, not coming it. out and saying I agree. whatever he because feels as a player, they need to, as a coaching staff, make a more executive decision. Everyone's evaluating based on what they see. I mean, there are going to be a couple lazy scouts out there who just look at the numbers and the box score. That's going to crush LaVisca. But when you actually look at the game and he's not hurt or you don't think he's hurt or there's some kind of injury going on, it's definitely detrimental to him, like you just said. If he does play this weekend, the receiving core should have a big week. Last week against Arizona, the team, as a team, averaged 11.4 yards of completion. Every time they touched the football, threw the football and completed it, they picked up a first down. So this Stanford team, even though good defensive stats, is very susceptible. I think if you just start get, having them guess. This is not the same Stanford Cardinal we've come to expect the last few years. And David Shaw does not have the same dis- linebackers at his disposal. They can't get creative on defense. I think this is really a time that you you want to, A, like I said, get Fontenot going off the the kind of missed week, bye week for him, personal bye week, and establish that running game. But boy, once you start getting that going, things are going to open up on the outside. And uh, that's where Visca and company will have a chance to really get things going. And this is a game that will be a very interesting matchup because as as much as Stanford's defense, I mean, historically speaking, this is one of the best defenses in the country. That is not the case this year. They're one of the worst defenses in the Pac-12 overall, especially against the pass. But they do have one superstar player on that defense. His name's Paulson Adebo. He's a starting cornerback. He's six foot one, 190 pounds. He is looking like a lock to be a top 10, top 15 draft pick next year. So it'll be very interesting to see how they utilize him as a defender do they lock him up one-on-one on LaVisca Chanel do they keep him on one side of the field because that this is one of those situations where if he's locked up one-on-one you know this is really their only great defender maybe it's a game where you know what let's use him more as a decoy exactly and open up things for Tony Brown for Katie Nixon for for Alex Fontenot for all of these guys and if he's not traveling with them then as a coaching staff and as a quarterback and Steven Montes you have to understand when LaVisca Chanel is not being guarded by Paulson Debo and you get him the ball because that's the opportunity where you have a mismatch with him. No, that's a great point on the defense, but Jared, the, where CU has a huge advantage is the versatility on offense. I mean, I don't even care if you go all the way down to Dimitri Stanley, who had one catch last week. CU can spread this thing out on the outside. And so 
and get a lot of receivers involved. So I think that's that's a good point. Use as a decoy. Look away from him. That's okay to always know where he is, know where one guy is on the field. Well, you'll want to know where everybody is on the field, but have that one guy highlighted. You know, have Steven Montez know, okay, he's on the left-hand side, whatever it is. And, and you want to also, as a play caller, right, call plays to put your offense in a good spot, whether it's if you see – What's this guy's name, Jared? This joker on defense you're all excited uh, about? Paulson Adebo. If Paulson Adebo is always following Visco around, okay, and then the coaching staff should pull some plays out that run trips on one side with LaVisca isolated on the left-hand side or whatever, on the opposite side of the field, so you can isolate that that cornerback, right? Make sure you know where he is at all times and do what you can as an offense to, to maximize your potential to succeed. If you, if you run trips to one side of the field and you're getting all three of their worst cornerbacks or maybe a safety getting involved with coverage, you can suddenly find mismatches. And if you are running the football... You know, we don't want to get two X's and O's on here, but that's how you open things up. And that's how, as an offensive play caller, you make it easier on Montez, easier on the offensive line, and frankly, easier on these receivers. I know last week it was frustrating. Katie Nixon had a couple big drops. But like I opened up the podcast saying, there's a difference between... Can't you feel the difference, folks, this year? You know, between... Well, uh, God, how, how far back do you have to go for a successful CU season? Uh, 2016. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not that far, okay? So let's go back to 2016. The difference between mistakes made this year and in 2016. Now this year, every mistake that CU makes, it's like, oh, great, there we go. How are we going to come back from that? Every mistake seems crucial this year. That shouldn't be the case. Every Katie Nixon drop, he's going to have a couple drops, folks. He's human out there. It shouldn't be like, well... Oh, they didn't get a first down that drive. How in the world are they going to flip this field position, so on and so forth? That shouldn't be the end of the world. These mistakes piling up is a product of a frustrated football team who keeps shooting themselves in the foot and just can't get over the hump. Back in 2016, you drop that ball, it's like, whatever, we'll get him back next drive. Defense will get the ball back. There's confidence that builds with it. You don't see any of that this year. And it's translating through the TV. Now I'm just like, oh, great. You hate to be so negative, man. You do, but it's eventually you just want to see things translate to points, to wins, to good football. And that's kind of what we talked about last week, Jared. It's just we just want to see this team play good football. Lose. I don't care if you lose, man. I don't care if this team goes 0-12. I hope they beat Nebraska whenever they play them in this little fake rivalry with Utah CSU, of course, throw that in the mix. So I guess three and nine would be the exemption there. I don't care if you go three and nine, but look good in these games. Be competitive. Be a football team that goes out there and represents your school and your fan base so everyone can be proud to watch the CU Buffs. When was the last time, and again, I guess 2016 is the answer to this question, but just how how deflating is it year after year? We turn the calendar to November 1st, and we've basically already written off. I uh, know, man. And, and you and I have been doing this show for a few years now, and, and it's it's one of those things that I, I you feel it every year. It kind of gets to this point, and you, you go, man, all right, I guess we only have four more weeks of this, you know? But, know? You know, and it's just, it's deflating. Instead of that, that, that feeling that you get to November, and you're like, man, if we can just go win a couple of games here, a couple of games that maybe you shouldn't win, this team could be in a Pac-12 championship, or this team could be playing in a New or, Year's Day who bowl. who cares, or, man? Even if you're talking bowl season, it's always fun to, to play the game of what bowl could see you make, who are the potential matchups. That's always fun to talk about. And even... For as many people out there that rag on bowl season, it does serve a purpose. It is fun to have one more week of football. It extends the college football season an extra month because they're taking a nice couple weeks off. You're going to talk about football for, for, for an extra couple weeks there. 
CU fans for the last few years have just packed it up early, and it's not fun that way, man. So as much as people rag on bowls, and I'd probably be one of the first to rag on the, I don't know, the Chunky Soup Bowl or whatever it may be, I want to see CU playing one, man. Just get there. Let's let's remember when CU played UTEP like yep. like ten years ago. I don't know why I remember that game so vividly. I remember that UTEP had a linebacker Ibok Ibok, but uh, I, CU- I remember at that time being so disappointed in the bowl that they made. You know because yeah, that was still, a thing. I know, but it was still you expected it outside every year. December and they're playing football. Right, and, but you're right. You expect it. I'm the poor sap who year after year reserves a week of my vacation time at the at the end of <laughs> the year bowl, for, for my nine to five, so travel. I can go to the bowl travel. And year after year, it's this like depressing realization. Like, all right, I guess well, I got to find something else. You to and do. I both went down to the Alma Bowl in uh, San Antonio, and that Antonio. was a lot of fun. For as much as it was a, a poor performance mm. from the bus that week, it was so much fun, and just the atmosphere, the environment, what it does for the culture, your program, and for your fan base, your recruits, everybody. But he just gets excited. It gives you that month of hype to build and build and build. And the recruiting season now, the early recruiting period, falls right in the middle of yeah, that. exactly. So if you as a coach can be saying, hey, yeah, come watch us in this bowl. Come see what happens there. It's just a, a totally different feel, a different vibe for a And team. what's really cool is you get to see CU's fan base. I mean, this is a hungry fan base. Obviously, I think CU has the majority of Colorado. Pretty much, you know, Air Force has their section. CSU has their little nook up there in northern Colorado but CU is Colorado's college football team this is a huge fan base just waiting hungry for a winning football team it takes like it takes one win or two wins and and Boulder is packed every weekend Folsom Field is rocking I mean Jared these fans are hungry for a competitive team once this team starts winning the the travel to other stadiums to bowl games I mean I think that CU is actually a really underrated fan base. And I'm not just saying that, right? We are the podcast the, uh, 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 representing the most passionate, the best fans of college football. I get that. But there is really something to be said that when this team starts winning, all the fans that come out in droves, and all, it, it, it took years and years, years of bad football to finally see those fans start leaving Folsom Field. They're coming back now in droves whenever there's any positive news. And I think that was one cool thing to take away from that bowl season. And when CU did make the Alamo Bowl, it's like, man, these fans deserve better. You know, like these fans w- deserve a winning football team. And and huh? if I'm not mistaken, if I'm doing my math right, which is always a dangerous thing in my head here, mm. but this would be, assuming, let's just go ahead and make an assumption that the Buffs are not going to make a bowl this, this season. If I'm not mistaken, that will mean that starting next year, there will not be a single player on that team that has been to a bowl game. Ooh, I believe everybody, at least anybody that played any sort of significant snaps, you might have a, a freshman or that was redshirting that that stuck around. God, that's but so weird that, to think about that puts you in a position now where guess what? You have an entire green team. Nobody that's ever been there, done that, that can tell you the you know teach you the ropes when you get out there. That that's one of those things that there that may, is so there, frustrating. There may be to think a couple of guys who are like, you know, some. Some border guys, yeah. some some gray shirts or yeah, something like that. But. Exactly, but that's that's just that's kind of a sad realization that I had over the weekend. It's like, wow, I guess I guess one once per every four classes we get to go to a bowl. Is that is that kind of the standard we're Jared, setting here right now? No, it's not. Now, if you look back the last couple of years, five and seven last year, five and seven 2017, 10 and four 2016, four and nine 2015, and two and ten in 2014. I hope this is not the worst season. 
since 2014. You got to get to four wins. Get to four. You That's a big one. That's a big – and Tyler, I know you <laughs> talked is, about it early in the this season. Is, this the, is the, the over <laughs> under four wins. Are you kidding me? And you and I both brought that up. I'm like, let, let, let me explain to the audience what he's talking about. So I have a bet that I made. See you over four wins this year. I just need to see you to get to four, and I get my money back. That Now that's like my – that's what I'm hoping for. It's like best-case scenario now is just to get to four wins. When see you is sitting at three and one – I'm sitting there counting my money. I'm looking at Vegas going, Shabuya! 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 You lose! They were 3-1. and one. I just need them to get to four wins, man. <laughs> they rattle off five losses in a row. Boy, now I'm the one. Uh, now I'm just going home. And you're the just world bringing me gonna... down right now, man. <laughs> I I had kind of come to you know come to grips with where we were, and and now I'm just like you're bringing me down here, Tyler. Uh, let, let, let's let's <laughs> let's finish our preview here for the Stanford game. So, all right, we talked about CU's offense. Obviously, Fontenot's going to be back next week. That's going to be a huge boost. I'm not even going to spend that much time on Montez, man. Montez has been consistently bad this year. I mean, very. I I, I don't think that we are being jerks by saying that. I don't think we're saying anything that anyone's not thinking out there. He hasn't played very good football. I don't think if you put the microphone in front of his face, he'd say, yeah, I've had a great season. So you want Montez to have uh, the same kind of game he had against USC, where you're looking pretty good, you're converting downfield, you're... I think the biggest thing, making, making good, decisions. good decisions. Well, with I was the just about, that's exactly right. Making good decisions, not being, you know, j- just make smart decisions with the football. And you want to see the offensive coordinators putting Montez in this offense in a good spot, calling plays to where, folks, if it's third and 11 on the 45-yard line, and I see one more pass for four yards, I, someone out there is going to have to chip in because I'm getting a new TV. I'm going to I'm going to break that thing soon, man. I can't stand it, Jared. I want to see better offensive play calling. So, Montez, be yourself. Have a good game. Don't worry about it. I want to see more out of this offensive coordinator, Jared. Do you have anything else to add to the offense before we get to the defense? No, nope, let's move on. All right. You mentioned how Stanford having a hard time scoring this season, and I will mention once again, their strength of schedule does factor in there. Stanford's had a very tough schedule this year, but they aren't scoring the ball nearly as well. Actually, even as CU is, you look at points per game, Stanford's scoring only 22.5 points per game. They're allowing just under 30 points per game. Total yards. Stanford's getting about 350 total total yards a game. To put that in perspective, the Buffaloes are averaging over 400 total yards a game. So CU's moving it. Stanford not at all. And uh, if you look at rushing yards, uh, excuse me, rushing yards specifically, 119 on the ground. So Stanford, a fledgling offense, could be a real opportunity for this young defense to gain some momentum against a Stanford team that, although 4-4, four and four, it's a big win and a big momentum boost if you can do this at home, especially for these young guys. I think this is the first team, at least in Pac-12 play for the Buffs, that you're going up against a team that actually has a worse offense statistically than what the Buffs are throwing out there. Yeah, and it's not even close. I mean, you start breaking down these numbers, statistically, like you said, CU really jumps off the page. I like how oddsshark.com has what they call an edge finder, and it breaks down what team is better this season in terms of total score, passing yards, rushing yards, time of possession, number of plays, and yards per play. That's six very important categories. CU is leading in five of those if you compare them to Stanford. The only uh, 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 stat they're not 
beating Stanford in there is time of possession. And as we just mentioned, CU's top 25 in time of possession in the first half. They're just not scoring. So that, to me, is not a very big issue. They're, they're passing the ball better than Stanford. Outrushing Stanford by almost 40 yards a game. And Jared, yards per play, one of the more important stats in college football. CU just under six. Stanford just over five. This offense in Stanford is susceptible, and they don't travel well. So I think that on the road, CU has a real chance here to shock Stanford. But Jared, and I'm kind of going back to, I guess, overall game plan here, not specifically defense, but I think it's so crucial for CU to get off to a fast start. So whether CU receives the ball or Stanford receives the ball, you can't allow Stanford to score on their first possession defensively. Like, it, it, whenever Stanford gets the ball, if CU opens up and scores a touchdown, great. Field goal, great. Three and out punt, not great, but okay. That his defense needs to not turn around and give a, a touchdown up. And if, like I said, if Stanford receives, you can't allow them to go down and score and, and gain confidence and start thinking this is our game to win. You have to stifle them early in this game defensively. Yeah, to touch on what we just brought up with, with the offense, that as an offensive coaching staff, as an offensive team, you need to approach this game that, hey, you know what, our defense has not been good this year. We need to go out and win it. You need to have that same mindset out of the defense. Say, hey, this is the first matchup we're getting that we can absolutely dominate the offense that we're going up against in Stanford, that this defense can be the better team on the field. They can absolutely shut them down. I think they match up very well because the weakest point of CU's defense is against the pass. Well, we all know how Stanford operates their offense. They're old school. They run the ball. They they are under center a lot. You don't see them spreading it out. You're not seeing it going to a bunch of different guys. In fact, I don't think there's any player on their team that has more than 40 catches on the season, no. yet their top running back, Cameron Scarlett, has 159 carries on the season. So he is absolutely a bell cow back. They like to run the ball. And CU should be able to take advantage of that with their their renewed interior defensive line getting back and healthy i think this is a good matchup for the cu defense you see the spread three and a half points stanford you know honestly i think that's about right i really do yeah i think it's gonna be a close game man it should be a close game let's put it that way if cu comes out and does what they should do offensively we expect this thing to be close man so all right let's get some predictions what do you think this score is going to be this weekend Call me a homer, call me foolish, but homer. I You're am foolish. taking the buffs in this one. I got them winning 31-28. I think really what it takes, Tyler, is to see a performance from CU on par with their better games this year. I'm looking at the USC performance. I'm looking at the Arizona State performance. I even throw the Nebraska performance out there. I think if you can give the effort and the – uh, accountability, the ability to make plays and execute on the field. You can show us that, what you've seen from this team this year. They can absolutely go this one, go and win this game. I got Buffs winning 31-28. I have Stanford scoring fewer points. I think this offense gets frustrated this weekend, and I think for the first time this season, A, Colorado holds their opponent to under 30 points, which is going to be a task in itself, but B, really gains some momentum. These young guys really feel good about their performance, and this is kind of a game that you look back last season as, hey, that's a building block. That's a building block game. I also don't want to uh, forget what we talked about earlier, that there's going to be a lot of recruits at this game. And it's important for CU to go out and get, uh, Jared, a lot of what I'm saying has to do with my four-win bet and the recruits this weekend. So let's hope everything falls into place for those two factors. Because if CU comes out this weekend and lays an egg, 
I know the coaching staff is going to say certain things to these recruits and how this isn't what this team is going to look like, blah, 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 blah. If you're a 17, 18-year-old kid, sometimes it doesn't matter if you watch a future team you're going to be on get rolled up 42-10 to 10 at home against a 4-4 four and four Stanford team. So it's important for these recruits that CU comes out and looks good and plays good football and, and looks excited and gets the crowd into it. And I think they can do it, Jared. I think this offense comes out. I think Montez looks comfortable. I think they have a good game at home, similar to USC, as long as they don't give anything up early. I don't want CU to have any reason to get dejected early, and I don't want Stanford to have any reason to get momentum early. Come out, suffocate them early. I think they do that. Give me CU to win 27-23. And I'll, I'll be willing to say this. CU can go out there and score points. I, I'm, pick, I'm picking CU to score 27. I think that's about right for this game. I could see them opening up against Stanford, but they're going to have to, like I said, prove it to me before I start picking them to score over 40 points like they should be doing in a game like this. So I think the defense actually is probably the story after this game. Uh, give me the buffs in a close one. You know how thrilled I would be to, to see this be a defensive game that the CU Buffs defense goes out and, and takes this on themselves and wins a game? Let's see it. Let's go, Buffs. You are the better team on the field. Go out and prove it. Prove to your recruits. Prove to your fans that you have but it. But you know how many you. people listening are going, yeah, right, you guys. Like, this defense is going to come out. Folks, if they're going to, this is going to be the game that happens. I think there is a little added motivation. And, and my last point here is that the players know this is a big recruiting weekend. The players are well aware, just like all of us are, that they're going to have some future teammates up there watching them. They kind of want to show off. They kind of want to put on a good showing for these guys, right? This is a team you want to play on. This is a a team you want to be on. Both of us have CU winning this weekend. Jared, it's uh, 1 o'clock, homecoming game this Saturday at Folsom Field. I love how homecoming... Stupid CSU. CSU had their homecoming game at 8 o'clock at night this year. Isn't the whole point of homecoming families and you want to get back after the game? And what kind of a program has homecoming at 8 o'clock at night? Hey, when you got one game on your schedule that matters, (laughs) you go with it, okay? (laughs) 1 o'clock p.m. in Boulder, folks. Let's go Buffs. Hope they get that fourth win of the season. See you taking on Stanford. Let's go Buffaloes. We'll talk to you next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.